Miss Macintosh, my darling, part 51.3. Ah, uh, to things inarticulate, he gave a voice, even to a city roaring inside a pebble, to things inanimate of movement, great traffic and great roarings where there was neither traffic nor music, where there was only the silence adding to the silence, the shadow to the shadow which seemed to grow cube by cube, and yet were there not significances of many chords never heard, many keys never rippling? And were there not many things unknown, orchids, orchards gleaming with those fruits of gold which were invisible and yet perceived, perceived and yet unknown in life and death, yet shining through these mists and fogs? So Mr. Spitzer wondered as he wrote another man's will on parchment burning at the edges or dreamed another man's thoughts, a firefly shining through him like his dead soul through darkness and whirlwind. Sometimes he thought there was no coachman for this world, but a little firefly driving a lumbering carriage and if reality had been a horse he would have known no more reality than the coachman's little light or the horse's tail or would have turned and spun as if his coach had been a ship upon a turning sea spinning like a top he would have followed his own tail if reality had been a ship he would have known no more than his keeling had he given birth to his dead twin becoming death and life or had his dead twin given birth to him becoming life and death or were they ever one, and yet not understood? Mother and father, these children who had begotten themselves and seen Medusa sleeping in that timelessness, which knew no man or calendar. He had made of a blackened lantern at the edge of the sleeping surf his eye, and of the dead and withered rose his mouth, which spoke the morning and cast its dim radiance upon the clouds, and of the barnacle his ear filled with the sea's roaring, and of the great tide coming in, going out, his door opening, closing, scraping with musical notes over sand and stone, where the sandpipers ran as if there were a world, world in its burning, and of his music the shuttle heart beating, flying over him, under him, and of the bridge no end, and of the end of the beginning, and of the island, the flood, with its foam pinnacles and shells, like moons upon the flood. He had made of the phoenix on the pinnacle his castle, with its many towers, windows burning with many flames like eyes, many rooms in his little firefly's drawing room, his little firefly's casket, pinions of light streaming from pole to pole, burning moonstones like the stars, stairways crumbling into waters and clouds. Sometimes he dreamed of mountainous seas arising, great happenings of waves crash into waves, abysses and spinning tops and channels and gutters, and that regatta which was his was which was all regattas in the future and in the present and the past, flowing into one as the waters of the womb flowed into the waters of the grave, all riding for the holy grail, which was the cup of the moon, the sun where there was neither moon nor sun, but that which shone through him. For was not something true, and was he not true even through his being not true? Sun, moonlight and sunlight lighting those, these white sails which passed over him in the sunken moon, sun, star, star of this dead world flashing its lights. Perhaps he was that man who was the day's lily pushing upward through earth, for there was the light, and the butterfly's wings were spotted with gold. Perhaps he was twelve cloaks, Perhaps he was twelve islands of flowers in the flood. Perhaps he was the sail stalled in the mist, or the sail broke into flame. Perhaps he was metamorphosed into a ram's horn. For a star fell, and the waves blew over the sand, and a pebble rolled, and many beauties trembled, and he heard a fair train, far train whistle, as if a world were being born or dying, he did not know which. Was he not his dead twin, who breathed, sighed, whispered, was the light upon the water, was the wind blowing through an empty house, was a knocking on a door? Perhaps all definitions failed, where each was each, and each was the other. 
It seemed to Mr. Spitzer that he was a man of many parts, many branches, a man of many faded horizons which sometimes gleamed through him like the lines of tree boles, three, pla three planets growing in his bosom, growing like street lights through impearled fogs or mists which would never lift, a man of many gates, gates of ivory, gates of gold, many doors, doors opening, doors closing, doors which would never close, many knockings, many cryings, many echoes, some which were far and some which were quite near, and if caught between the unknown past and the future which might never be, he trusted the past more than he trusted the future, for the past increased as the future diminished to one sigh or cry or spot of light, one ripple in the dying water, and the past was by comparison secure, safe, garnered, like the lily lights of the imagination streak in the clouds, preserved, kept by him surely somewhere when all else failed when even his own identity grew uncertain when he knew not who he was and his love informed those moments which were dead and the dead lived through him perhaps it was the d decoy and not the man for his face was wooden and he had been deceived by many facades many men who were window panes looking out on many stars deceived by many men who were doors of mystery many doors who were men with hinges rasping and never would he woo the wild snow goose of death from the clouds although death was his love the wild goose honked as it passed through snow clouds over these city lights as hailstones gleamed like the prisms of mr chandelier so much had deceived him he had found the impossibility of committing suicide for he had died merely by living by continuing from moment to moment two tenants wrangled in an empty house that which was his body and his soul could he have been a lawyer representing himself he should have sued for a false spring for his was the somnolence of a long winter should have sued the bullfrog croaking in the lily, the firefly star, the groundhog who had arisen from his grave, and butterflies awakening when he awakened not, and yet could lie, con and yet could lie confront his own illusion by which he was caught between two worlds, between two lives, between two deaths, where the mirrors drifted through clouds, and could he confront the illusion of another man where all was illusion, and if all were illusion, then all might be true as often as he had remarked. All might be true if all were false, if there were no note of contrast but his own little note. How often he said farewell when he should have extended his greetings, or how often he extended his greetings when he had already said farewell. Perhaps his was that lonely whistle heard in two worlds. Perhaps his was that uncompleted elegy which must complete itself. Musically, how had he been needed? Perhaps, of course, he was guilty of more mistakes and accuracies, and perhaps he had confused his conscience with his consciousness. Perhaps his was greater consciousness than his case required, so much being hidden in this life as in this death. But what was accuracy in Mr. Spitzer's realm, that of all things which had already departed? He had already gone, and yet he remained. There was a certain wildness in this fact. By a gambler's error he lived, practiced that which some believed was law, pursued lawlessness by a throw of the dice, by a lucky or unlucky turn of the great planetary wheel, turning like a ferris wheel, or its reflection on a sea of clouds, it seemed to Mr. Spitzer, or by all those errors, mistakes, illusions which had never evolved from an original sin unless it was a sin, or errors in the heart of a dreaming or a splitting god, god losing his hinges, his doors, his stars, moon, sun, waters, perhaps some old patriarch of the mollusks, the minarets and domes cast up upon a lonely shore and growing like a city. Yet were not these errors real as the shadows upon the waters, the lights upon the sands and the clouds? A flaw in the creation had permitted this creation. Perhaps there had been the merest crack which grew into an abyss, or so an old caulker once remarked. There had not been enough caulking, Lie had said, and he was full of holes, more holes than there were. 
There had not been a, a roof to this house. There had not been a ceiling to his dreams. There had not been a chimney or a chimney star. And an old piano keyboard mender told him that there had always been a missing keyboard. There had always been a string missing in the harp of God. Perhaps that string missing was Mr. Spitzer's string. He sometimes thought when he wondered which brother he was. As for Mr. Spitzer, his errors were not those of the flesh, and how he wished that they had been the incalculable errors of the dreaming flesh, and not of this poor spirit wandering and lost. His errors were such sins as an error in a timetable, as that timetable which should have told him when he died or when he departed, train schedule that which should have told him which train to take, even which train of thought, a watch, for the watchwinder would never again wind this watch, a hat, a coat, a walking stick, God knew what, and God knew not what. A golden-footed compass point moving through a cloud, error of a moon, one moon more than ever shone for him, error of a sun, one sun less than ever arose from under the waters of the darkness, error of a twilight, error of a dawn, the color of the pigeon's neck, error of a train whistle crossing a signaling semaphore, a trumpet blowing, a street sign where there was no street, and not even the street of the firefly, a bony hand with its long finger pointing through the fog, a wrecker who had wrecked the wrong building, dropped dropping it stone by stone into the depths of the sea, steeple by steeple, bell by bell, rose window and door and sleeper in his bed, perhaps carrying a whole city away when in his perhaps carrying a whole city away when the sleeper never knew, dropping the stairway with its windings in the newel postcard with the faces of sleeping angels, dropping the foot passengers and the old cars and lights upon the windows. A builder who had followed the wrong architect's plans, or had missed all proportions, or had omitted that inch in which Mr. Spitzer might have lived. A city, a bridge more than there was, or less than there was, a bridge made of the wings of birds. He had crossed that bridge which was merely strings of city lights, and should he question his judgment or quarrel with this creation which was nothing in itself, and had never been itself, but was that harbor which was only the port lights uncertain and wavering upon a shore no one could reach. And was that ship, which was only the porthole streaming with lights as it went down, and was its counterpart, or the counterpart of the counterpart, was not the echo, but was the echo of the echo, was not the ghost, but was the ghost of the ghost trailing a long wake of foam, was not the water, but was the water's whirling, was not the snowflake, but was the memory of the snowflake drifting upon the water, dying as the star died, perhaps more beautiful, more complete than the reality had ever been especially if there had been no reality but this dream, dreaming, adding, multiplying, dividing, subdividing. Whose illusions could he challenge? He had learned to respect other people's mirages, especially as he existed only as a mirage himself, or when he found himself mirrored upon a sudden flight of whirling hailstones like the prisons of Mr. Chandelier, or like the eyes of birds flying through clouds, or mirrored in other people's glassy faces, streaked with his pale flames, his dying fires, or the birds which had flown out of his fires. And he dreamed of that blind Eros, for whom there was no, ta no time and no face of love, and no act of superficial recognition of subject or object, and no love in this flesh and in this body, but the love exceeding the limitations of the individual, and of life and death as he groped with his blind fingertips through darkness, or dreamed that the only light he saw by was never in his eyes, but was that which shone through his fingertips lighting clouds and fogs, or turning old trees to trees of fire burning like tinder at the surf's edge, as if a star had passed where there was no star. Was this a friendly or a forbidding shore? 
seemed a shore which was bordered by no sea, there being this great void or a hand's breadth between the shore and the sea. Sometimes it seemed to him a shore which would should delude the voyager with his head pillowed upon a wave, his drowned eyes staring at the moonless clouds. A shore as hostile as if some great natural catastrophe had occurred, whether it was death or love. Perhaps they could not be divided. Never should he see his brother's face, he knew now, unless he saw it through all the mazed images of the dead, through all the differences, a light upon the water where there should be no light, a darkening cloud, a sudden ripple of music where he stepped who had stepped through years of silence. Sometimes it seemed to Mr. Spitzer that the best part of him was dead, yet lived. It was no more miraculous that he lived through death than if he were some crazy old gambler who had thrown his last dice like the hailstones rattling in the cloud and causing this plaintive music around his hat as the wind whistled through him although he was trying to go legal, trying to practice law where there was no law, no lawyer, and never had he consulted a judge, trying to be on the right side who had been on the left side and had been biased as a left-handed portrait painter in a world of right-handed portrait painters although still dreaming of that world in which left-handed portrait painters would not be a minority, and the right-handed would be biased. Although true it was that perhaps the great portrait painters had always been a minority in whichever world they were, his effort to go straight had made him crooked. He was crooked as the wind striking the lost bell. No matter how straight he went, his way would seem finally circular. Law, indeed, had always seemed to the gambler with his illegal interest and aspect of death. Besides, where did Mr. Spitzer practice now? He had not been seen in court for years, or had practiced only in the courts which were paved with the moonstones of lost cases under a firmament of lost stars. Perhaps he represented a dead moth, with its wings trembling and strutting in the storm as if there were life. Perhaps he represented a mouse in a paper nest, perhaps in his desk drawer, a mouse who was his archivist and his town clerk, a mouse moving where old papers moved and stirred like papery stars. A mouse would nod old leases, mortgages, testimonials, wills until they were pulverized or seemed like flakes of snow streaming from clouds melting in Mr. Spitzer's hand, melting with their writing of silver and gold. A mouse who had torn into shreds his affidavits, pleas, accusations, legal documents. A mouse who had gnawed his musical manuscripts, jumbling symphonies, already jumbled parts, jumbling symphonies with old racing forms and steeplechases and eating all his chords papers rustling through this mouse, where this mouse gnawed with his sharp teeth under the mouse-colored clouds, perhaps that mouse who slept on a bed made of scraps of old lawsuits for heart's balm and ease torn into bits, cemented by a mouse's spittle, like the lily spittle, scraps signed by a mouse's claw, perhaps that mouse who slept in the papers lying in his hat when Mr. Spitzer slept, a mouse who squeaked under the sky streaked with mice tails, a mouse who had torn his music to ribbons and had torn his greatest ode to pieces. Ah, the greatest impresario was the mouse. He who had shaken the long handle of the great dipper of stars, pouring out little stars, strange constellations so accidental and incidental that none bad ever seen them before, that none had ever seen them before. Stars pouring into another world. Perhaps Mr. Spitzer had opposed, Mr. Ma had opposed to Mr. Mouse's will his will, for so great was his sense of order. He surely was not gifted in the field of litigations, preferring the seething silence to the sound, preferring mystery to exposure, preferring a cloak to nakedness. Perhaps he was a lawyer in litigatious starfish, starfish quarreling in an oyster bed where shone the pearl moon, starfish climbing mountains, starfish squeaking like Mr. Mouse as Mr. Spitzer's shoes squeaked or danced by themselves, his sense of disorder growing as his sense of order grew, for great were these distractions, bees buzzed around his head. 
How often from a desk drawer filled with old notary seals and cancelled postage stamps, one he had dreamed he had worn upon his forehead, but it was a postage stamp of no known realm and an issue sought by no collector, perhaps upon a letter never sent. Candlelands of which the flames had flown away, rubber bands which had lost their flexibility, pieces of sponge, debris cast up from unknown depths of his psyche, pebbles the sea had polished, <clears throat> had polished wafer thin, as if to suggest no permanence of towers, and some might crumble in his groping fingers, reminding him of an amputated church steeple once brought in by a tide and a storm. All its bells were ringing, and he had kept the church steeple at his door. Once a dream that it had moved over a floor of sand, that it had moved into his bedroom, that when he was walking in the night in his sleep from bed to bed with his great cape belling out around him, he had knocked against a church steeple, had barked his shins, and the next morning when he awakened it found that his knees were black and blue, that he was like some old fighter who had heard the bells ringing, perhaps the last bells ringing for him, had been knocked out by a bell, perhaps had walked off the roof like his poor brother, bits of colored glass he had picked up at the translucent sea's edge, some of dimmed colors suggesting all those dilutions of colors through which they had passed, reminding him of his own transmuting medium, the muted opalescence through which a dolphin's eye might stare when the moon was pillowed upon a wave, or that darkened glass through which he might view his own eclipse, drawers of his dead brother's butterfly correspondence with lipid lipido lipidopterists, exchanging notes upon those specimens which were never seen on earth, for they had died in transit between world and world like sails which had gone down for the last time before they arrived, and it seemed that he might be his brother now, his old this old lawyer stitched together by the wrong chains, and the sleeve of this dark cocoon of life was surely unraveling, unraveling like the tide, and there were many drifting threads, silken threads in the dim air of country, ro country roads and city streets. How often he had picked up the wrong seal, perhaps a great president seal to indicate a buried nation, perhaps perhaps that of President Monroe, perhaps that of President Garfield, or a seal of the Grand Union Army, a seal of the New England Lighthouse Underwriters, had more than once stamped the wrong document with the wrong seal, had stamped an old scratch sheet of the horses which never ran and never lost with Boston life and trust, had sometimes like an old woman madly stamping with a hot iron setting a hot iron down in the wrong place, or an old coach horse madly chomping in its bit in the winter wind, where the coachman had dropped anchor while he took a stirrup cup inside a sailor's inn, and drank the waters of Nephpenith, and a second stirrup cup, one for the road, stamped himself, or so he dreamed, and it might be that his dream was real, that the dream was the only reality there was, had gone about all day with society for the protection of mariners' widows written under his hat brim, writing which was like the writing of waves upon stone, waves obliterating writing, hook and ladder society written on the tail of his flying shirt before it was washed out by the great launderer who washes us all, was sometimes covered by stamps of silver, stamps of gold, stamps of old lamplighters' annuities, stamps of the old lamplighters who saw no more and no more lighted him, reaching with their long poles from star to star, reaching his chair and reaches with his oar upon the darkening waters, where winged fishes suddenly burn like flames as his oar strikes the wave. Stamps of old wheelwrights, stonemasons, sleeping emperors, non-dynastic emperors of empires and crowns which never were. And little doubt Mr. Spitzer had made great mistakes, had once carried for months in his briefcase without noticing because of this great myopia, causing more lights than there were the seal of the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, stamping many last rills and testaments, which, so far as he knew or had ever been told, for no news ever reached him, had been probated through court without anyone's noticing. 
He might have stamped half the property of Boston with this stamp and all of Concord. Perhaps he should have chosen some greater rail or some old Boston line which had gone out of business, and not this foreign stamp. No word of objection had ever reached Mr. Spitzer where he was now, for he was in another world, where these errors mattered less than here. Perhaps in a world of trains which had passed away, not only he gr not only the great trains and the great lines and the great stations, but the little unctions where no trains ever stopped, and the old lines which had gone out of business, the grass growing between the railroad ties leading from nowhere to nowhere, and the great stations with their doors draped by cobwebs and no train lights ever coming in and no conductors and no ticket takers, for the old ticket takers had passed for the last time. But if he bolted but if the Baltimore and Ohio was not yet extinct, then never mind, as he would tell himself, for some day it would join with the greater rail of all the train lights streaming and all the trains passing station lights, like stars under the streamings of passenger pigeons, who were already of another world and who carried away with them the station lights and the stars and the continent of the darkness as all slumbered, and he would be right who was now wrong, or so he hoped that in that world where the dead human pigeon passengers whirred with the winnowing wings he would not be wrong as he was now when the sea was lighted with firefly lights stars lights lights of his own faded or faded fading star and why should there be this quarrel between real and unreal all being of one context and even the dream of immortality requiring this present rumbling framework or so mr spitzer asked when engaged in his own endless litigations and why should he question life, which was itself an aspect of death, or ask of death a greater sta stability than life had given? Should he be so obtuse? Why should he try to strike a balance between these unholy powers, when perhaps the imbalance was life, the whisper which was never heard, the song which was never sung, the oldest chance he knew, the oddest chance he knew? All the odds had been against it, against this planetary experiment, and certainly against its counterpart, that which never was. Life had given no certain foundation stone, none but these continual shiftings, all those things which had been unreal and buried in man's life suddenly becoming real as the striped gold of the sunlight upon the water, or the liquescent murmur of an oily passenger pigeon in the fog streaked like Mr. Spitzer's rounding eye, perhaps like all his eyes of gold shining through him where there should have been the darkness, the darkness encroaching upon the darkness, the old waiter at the oyster bar where he sometimes stopped at noon, would never offer to brush away the fireflies which glittered on Mr. Spitzer's sleeve or the hem of his cape, as if it were the darkest night, for he knew by the long association who Mr. Spitzer was knew even when he was blind, when Mr. Spitzer might sit for hours before the waiter came to him, knew that when these lights went out, all lights should go out even at high noon and darkness descend like the starless lid of a tomb. Perhaps Mr. Spitzer was his hat, cape, cane, was his old dreaming tortoise with stars upon his back. He upheld the star universe, and the oldest waiter knew why he would not give up his hat. Should he give up his present body, he would also give up his dream that he lived when he was dead. Besides, who were his clients, customers, patrons? Whom did he now represent? 